thought I was done. This morning's scripture reading and message from Pastor Jeff will be coming from Genesis chapter 17, verses 9 through 14. Follow along as I read, please. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Let's pray. Father God, we just want to acknowledge that we so often live our lives as if they were out of control, or maybe on the opposite extreme, we often live our lives as if we are in control. God, I pray that through the study of your word, and by the power of your spirit, you would help us to see, to believe, and to love that you have made us many great promises, and you are a promise, a covenant keeper. And God, even as we look at this uh, possibly strange sign of circumcision, that you gave to Abraham. God, let us understand it a little better today. And God, through it, to see your character and to know how our lives should be lived in response. And I pray all this in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. We are back in Genesis chapter 17. This was uh, at the beginning of chapter 17. It had been 13 years since God had appeared to Abram, who now in chapter 17, his name is changed to Abraham. But it had been 13 years. At the end of chapter 16, uh, his, I guess you could say, illegitimate child, Ishmael, was born. It's now been 13 years. That means Ishmael is 13 years old. And it's been 13 years since Abraham has heard from God. And in those first few verses, uh, we saw that God reveals himself to Abraham with, with, with kind of a new name, a name that he hadn't used for himself yet, and that was God Almighty. See, God had made him these promises, and it seemed like uh, maybe at times Abraham was struggling 
And so God reveals himself after this, this period of silence as God Almighty. That means he is able to do anything and everything. No one can stop him. Whatever God pleases to do, he will do. Well, we talked about, uh, I guess a couple of weeks ago now, that the problem is that in human history, those with, with full power, those who uh, seem maybe in human terms to be almighty, are not always uh, good people. It's not always a good thing that they have all this power. I gave you the example of, of uh, Hitler uh, as our main example, but we thought about Stalin and, and others, who when they have gained a certain amount of power, they have dominated, and they have destroyed, they have used their power for only self-gain and selfishness. But we saw last week from uh, the beginning of chapter 17 that God is not only all-powerful, but he is good as well. So there is no corruption in him to come out from this power. But not only is God good and incapable of this corruption, but he is also gracious. That means God gives undeserved gifts to undeserving people. And that's exactly what happened in the life of Abraham. God appears to him, even though Abraham was an idol worshiper, we've seen from God's word. God appears to him, God makes him promises, and he calls him out of the land to follow God. And this was the grace of God. We also looked at God's ability to keep him in this covenant. That, that's a big thing, that, that God keeps Abraham faithful in this covenant that God has made. And so this week, I want to look at one more aspect of God's grace. Uh, we, we could really look, do this probably from every passage of the Bible, uh, but, but this week we want to look specifically at this sign of circumcision that God gave uh, to Abraham. And we're going to look at how that was a means of grace, not only to Abraham, but, but to his descendants after him as well. And that should be a means of grace to us even today. And so really today, uh, I, I want to answer three, uh, I think, very pertinent questions about this often misunderstood uh, sign of circumcision. Uh, we, we may not know what was the purpose of God giving this sign. We may not know what was the significance of this sign. You know, why, why circumcision? And we may not know what that looks like for us today. And so that's what I want to look at from God's Word. So, if you're following along in your outline, uh, this is in there. Uh, this is nothing magical. This is just something to help me <laughs> keep order to my, my sermon and hopefully to help you keep order as well. But the first thing I want to look at is, number one, the purpose of the sign, the purpose of this sign of circumcision. And one thing we may wonder is, well, was the purpose of circumcision uh, to be an act to be done by an individual in order to earn salvation from God? You know, uh, another way of ask, asking that question would be, did, did circumcision save Abraham or anyone else? Is that what's going on here? Well, we can pretty quickly uh, take care of that. Uh, just one place uh, that I know of that, that talks about this is Romans 4, chapter, or Romans chapter 4, verses 9 through 10. It's speaking of uh, salvation. It says this, 
is this blessing, the salvation, then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? I'm going to pause there for a second. So that's our question. Did, did salvation come because of circumcision? And it goes on to say, it was not after, but before he was circumcised. So it's saying, Abraham had righteousness, imputed righteousness from God. Abraham had salvation from God before this sign of circumcision was given. Therefore, circumcision was not a means to giving Abraham salvation. We saw in chapter 15, uh, verse 6, it says, uh, And he, Abraham, he believed the Lord, and he counted it him counted it to him as righteousness. So here we are two chapters later, and this sign of circumcision is just now being given. Therefore, circumcision did not save Abraham or anyone else. It says, uh, actually, in uh, the very next verse in that Romans passage, Romans 4 verse 11, it says, he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still still uncircumcised. So this circumcision, rather than saving him, was a seal, a sign of the righteousness he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So we need to make this very plain, okay? In the Old Testament, salvation did not come by, by being circumcised, by, by a male being, being circumcised. It, it saved no one. By this act. There, there's never been a time in, in, in Christian history, I guess you could say, biblical history, that people were saved by, by, by some outward act, circumcision included. And, and I do believe some people have that confused. They would say, well, these people were saved because they had circumcision. No, that, that's not the way that it worked. Abraham had faith. It was counted to him as righteousness at least 13 years before the circumcision even occurred. It was, uh, it was Abraham's faith, it says there, and God's promises that, counted, that was counted as righteousness. So I'm going to read uh, verses, verses uh, 9 through 11 of Genesis 17. And I want to see if we can figure anything out. There's, there's not really a whole lot in this text, so we're going to have to go around in the Bible to, to learn more about the purpose of circumcision. But I think it gives us some pointers even here in chapter 17. So starting in verse 9, it says, And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you, throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign... Of the covenant between me and you. That right there, I believe, is our, our first hint as to what this circumcision was all about, what the purpose of it really was. And I, I took some time uh, th this week to look at that word sign. Uh, I did kind of a word study because I wanted to know God says this will be a sign of the covenant. Well, what does that even mean? What does it mean to be a sign, you know? 
And so I'll just tell you, anytime you're studying God's word and you, you come up to a, a particular word that you don't know what it means, it's helpful to look at all the other uses of that word uh, in the Old Testament or in the Bible even sometimes. But in this case, um, I was reading from an old Hebrew scroll, so I crossed— No, no, I used Bible software. Seriously, I have an app on my phone that I can right now pull up every single time that this Hebrew word for sign is used— you can do this too, okay? I just want to, this is super helpful. It doesn't mean that every meaning of that word is what it means in your context, but it's really helpful in explaining uh, what a word might mean. So, the Hebrew word here uh, for sign is the word oath. Um, that, that's how it's pronounced, but it's not to be confused with our word oath, as in promise. This is a sign, not a promise. This is a sign. Uh, covenant is, is a different word. Uh, but this word is actually used 79 times in the Old Testament. So get, get your, turn in, uh, your, fing- your page turning fingers ready, because we're going to look at all of them. No, I'm joking. Uh, well, I just want to give you a few of these, because I really think they'll be helpful in giving you a flavor of what this word oath, what this word sign means that circumcision was to be. In my study of this word, I saw that it was already used in the book of Genesis five times before we even came uh, to this passage in Genesis 17. Uh, The very first time occurs in chapter 1, and it's where God sets the stars and the planets in the sky, the lights in the sky, and he says they will be signs for the people to, to let them know day and night and seasons and years. So there, that word sign is used for order, for for categorization. And anyone who knows astronomy knows that, uh, and this happened a lot back in the day, people would, you know, use the stars, use the planets to know what the date was, to to know uh, how long it had been. It was this organization. And of course, every time the sun comes up, you know it is day. Every time it goes down, you know it is night, Um, other than a couple of times, (laughs) miraculously, in the Old Testament, but so there was this sign for organization, the the stars and planets in the sky. The next time we see it is in Genesis chapter 4. This is where Cain, uh, the son of Adam and Eve, kills his brother Abel. And Cain is talking to God, and he says he's afraid that someone will avenge the death of his brother. And so God says, no, that won't happen because I'm going to put a mark on you. You remember this? I'm going to put a mark, a sign, an oath on you. And what that mark will mean is that, uh, if, that if anyone avenges uh, Abel by killing Cain, God will avenge Cain sevenfold. So there's, there was a sign of, of protection and even warning to other people, hey, don't mess with this guy. The next time it's used is in uh, Genesis 9, and it's used a few times here. But in Genesis 9, this is directly after the flood, right? The wickedness that was rampant in the world, God decides to flood and destroy the whole world and all land creatures and humans, except for Noah and his family, only the eight people and the animals that they brought on board. And afterwards, after they come off the ark, God says, I'm going to make a covenant with you that I will never destroy the world, flood the whole world by water again, and I will give you a sign of this covenant, and that is the rainbow. That's right. 
the rainbow was a sign for literally all humanity to see God is going to preserve creation until the the end of his plan is fulfilled. God will never flood the world, deluge the, the world in a worldwide flood again. And so again, we have this, this sign is pointing to preservation and God's protection and God's timing. And so th- those are just the uses before we come to chapter 17. There, there are a couple more examples I want to give to you because I, I think they're helpful. Uh, later in the book of Exodus, God uh, sends plagues, right, upon Egypt. And he says that these will be signs that God is greater, God is more powerful than Egypt, and God is more powerful than the so-called gods of Egypt, right? And these were to be signs for them. In fact, it gets even more uh, interesting on the, ver- on the fourth plague, which was flies, God said, I'm going to make a sign for them. The flies will only afflict, this plague of flies will only afflict the Egyptians in the land. It will not afflict the Israelites in the land. And that will be a sign. That will be an oath for the people. And so we have a sign here of differentiation, right? The the, the plague hits the Egyptians in the land, but not the Israelites in the land. There is this sign of differentiation. One more sign I'll give you. In Joshua chapter 4, so this is after the Exodus, after the 40 years of of wandering in the wilderness, uh, just before the conquest of of the promised land of Canaan is about to begin, uh, they send spies into Nineveh. You remember this? They they send spies in, or sorry, not Nineveh, Jericho. Uh, That was Jonah. Anyway, they send spies into Jericho, this great walled city, And God tells them that they're going to destroy this city. But while the spies are there, there's a woman, uh, a woman of the city named Rahab, who protects them. She hides the spies from uh, the guards. And she says, uh, you know, because I have protected you, will you protect me and my family? And the spies say, well, yes, yes, we will protect you. We will protect uh, your family, even though we're going to destroy everyone else. We will protect you. And she says, I need a sign. I need an oath. Again, the Hebrew word oath. <laughs> I need a sign that you will protect me and my family. And say, so they say, okay, we will protect you, and here will be the sign. Hang a scarlet cord from your window, and anyone in your house will be protected. And the, the, the soldiers, when they come invading, they will see that cord, and they will not destroy anyone in that household. And so this was a sign uh, for the uh, Israelite people. Hey, do not mess with the people in this household. But on the other hand, it was actually a sign also for Rahab and her family because it says explicitly in there, the spies tell them, but you and your family must know that anyone who is not in your house when we attack, covered by this, this sign, this scarlet cord, They will be destroyed like everyone else. They must take refuge. So it was a sign both for the invading uh, Israelites and for the the household of Rahab that that would be the only place they had safety. You know, I said uh, that those were going to be all of them. I want to give you one more um, (laughs) that that I just remembered. The tenth plague. So we're rewinding back uh, to to the tenth plague 40 years earlier. And there was... uh, 
the tenth plague was going to be the death of the firstborn child of each household. You remember that? This was the, the big one, the most painful one uh, to, to the Egyptian people and to Pharaoh. But God said that there would be a sign that would protect the people. Do you remember what that was? That if they took the blood of a spotless, perfect lamb and they put it on their doorpost, God would see that sign, the Lord would see that sign, and he would pass over that household. Some imagery there, huh? <laughs> Maybe a little bit of the blood of a spotless lamb and the protection from God's wrath. But on the other hand, this was exactly the same as with uh, Rahab and the scarlet cord. They had to be in that house. They had to remain in that place of safety, covered by the blood of that lamb at the entryway. That is another usage of this word sign. So, we're just going to review. This is, again, just helping us get a flavor of what could possibly this word sign mean, that circumcision was supposed to be, that this is its purpose— as we've seen that it was God giving organization. It was God uh, giving protection. It was God giving differentiation. And it was God giving protection and even uh, reminders of his promises. <laughs> I can think of so many more examples. Uh, after they passed through the Jordan River uh, to, to go into, to take over, um, what's the city? Jericho. Uh, God tells them, take 12 stones. Remember this? Take 12 stones out of the middle of the Jordan and set them at the, uh, the riverbank, and this will be a sign for you. When your kids say, hey, what's up with those stones? You will tell them, this is when God, us br God brought us out of Egypt and brought us into the Promised Land. He parted not only the Red Sea, but also the Jordan River to bring us in, and it was to be a sign of remembrance. And so we get this, this full flavor of what is the purpose of this sign? What is the grace of God in this sign? Well, it was to be a constant, continual reminder to Abraham. It was to be a constant, continual reminder to Abraham's offspring, his family, even his servants within his, his household of the promises, and not only the promises, but the covenant that God had made with them. And I would even say, on the other hand, this was a reminder to God. I realize God doesn't forget anything, but sometimes he works in these ways. It was a reminder to God, just like the rainbow, right? I will remember my covenant when I see the rainbow. God would remember his covenant with Abraham and with his people when he saw this mark, this sign of circumcision. So what should that have done? What is the grace the, the purpose of this sign of circumcision? Well, I believe uh, it, it was a, a couple things, but I believe mainly it was to give them confidence. You know, uh, my, my dad and I have been talking about this this week, but we don't even understand the weight of, uh, of <laughs> what's the word I'm looking for? Covenants. We don't even understand the weight of, the permanence of covenants in our day. We don't really have any parallels uh, that, that go back to how strong they were in Old Testament times. I realize marriage is supposed to be a covenant, uh, but we have not exactly shown the strength of it in marriage, sadly. But the, the, these covenants were so strong. They were, they were unbreakable, and God himself had bound himself to this covenant. 
No one made God do this, but God bound himself to this covenant to bless this people, to, to, to give them this land, to multiply them, to have nations come out of them, to have kings come out of them, and ultimately bless the whole world through them. God had given them this covenant, and they would have this sign as a continual reminder of the unshakable promises of God. And you could even think on God's end, even when, and this happened many, many, many times uh, in Old Testament history, even when God's covenant people would rebel, they would fall into idolatry, they would forget about God, even then, God would still remember His covenant. Now, don't get this covenant mixed up with salvation. I'm not saying all these people went to heaven because they got circumcised. No, no, no. They were under this covenant, under these blessings, under this umbrella of blessings that were found, bound up in the Abrahamic covenant because God had a purpose for this people that he had chosen for himself, this lineage of Abraham. We know that just a, a couple generations later, we have Jacob, whose name is changed to Israel. He has 12 sons. You have the nation of Israel laid out before you. So the purpose of circumcision, the purpose of this sign, was to be a continual, powerful reminder to them that God had cut a covenant with Abram. This is a powerful purpose. But you might wonder at this point, like I did, why circumcision? <laughs> um, I, I'm not sure if you are aware of what circumcision is. You most likely are. Don't worry, I'm not going to get graphic. But what circumcision is, is simply removing a piece of skin from the male reproductive organ with a knife. There is cutting, there is shedding of blood, but there is this removal of a piece of flesh from the male reproductive organ organ. We say, uh, God, is that really the sign you want to do? I mean, God, couldn't you do some other sign? Maybe a tattoo, you know? Maybe you could put, get, have them all get a tattoo of a flaming pot and a torch on their arm. You know, that, that's what passed through the animals when the covenant was made. Why not that? Why not a rainbow like was given uh, to, to Noah? Why circumcision? And that's what we need to see right now is Number two in your notes, the significance of the sign. We've seen the purpose, that it's to be a continual reminder, giving confidence, instilling faith. But now we need to see the significance of the sign. Why circumcision? I am afraid uh, at this point, and I, I do want to be careful as I tell you these things, and so I'm going to give you this uh, just, to, just so you know what we're up against. The Bible doesn't give us explicit answers to that question. It nowhere says, here is why circumcision and not something else. Uh, but I would say that, that there are some pointers to what, what circumcision was all about and, and why circumcision is the sign that God chose. So we're going to use our minds and, and just what little uh, evidence we do have from Scripture to see what the significance was of this particular sign. Well, you might remember that at the beginning, you know, you have Adam and Eve, and things are perfect. God's good creation. They're, they're relating to God correctly. They're relating to one another correctly. 
but then they fall into sin. They do the one thing God told them not to do. And then we know that things very, very quickly went downhill after that, right? We already talked about it. Uh, in the very next chapter, Cain and Abel, uh, there, there's a murder. Cain kills Abel. That's the children of Adam and Eve. Can you believe that? Already in the very next generation, there was a murder. We know that just a little further, again, we've already talked about this, but just a little further, the world has become so entirely corrupt that God destroys it with a flood. <laughs> I mean, that, things are getting bad. You say, well, okay, he destroyed it with a flood. He only saved righteous Noah and his family, you know, eight people. Certainly that made things better. The next thing we see is the Tower of Babel, where people are actively joined together in rebellion against God to worship other gods, to make a name for themselves rather than worship their creator. Sin is just continuing and compounding. Why is that? Why did sin not stop with Adam and Eve? Why not with Cain and Abel? Or Seth, even, when he was on the scene? Why did it not stop when only Noah and his family were in existence? The reason sin continued is because human reproduction continued. Okay? Sin was passed down from the parents, starting with Adam and Eve, passed down to the next generation. We were all born with a sin nature ever since Adam and Eve. So if you are a, des a descendant of Adam and Eve then you were born with a sin nature. They were born with a sin nature. Abraham was, and all of his family, they were born with a sin nature. And the way that that sin nature, that depravity, that, that uh, sinful inclination was passed down was through human reproduction. So I don't think it is any coincidence that God is cutting away, as this sign, is cutting away a piece of the male reproductive organ. So I believe the, the first thing that circumcision uh, shows us by way of significance is the utter depravity of mankind, our inability to do or make or procreate anything or anyone good without God's intervention. It can only perpetuate sin, and God is symbolically doing this, this cutting away on that reproductive organ, the source of the reproduction of sinful humans. So following that line of thought a little bit, I believe another pointer we can kind of see here is I believe with this cutting away, God is also symbolizing the fact that he wants people to be cut away from that old, old sinful life that they're born with. He wants them to be cut away from that rebellion against him and to be drawn back to him. Uh, I'll give you an example of that. So th that might just sound like, well, Jeff kind of just threw that out. Listen to this. Joshua chapter 5. This is, again, just after the Exodus. The Israelites, uh, who, who are, are still alive at this point, I want you to understand, the people who came out of Egypt did not enter Canaan, okay? They, they, they died uh, because of their, their rebellion against God. They died in the wilderness, but it was their children who went into the promised land, okay? So we've got that set up. And God wanted the people to observe the Passover feast. And that was looking back to the, the lamb, that 10th that plague, 
and the way God protected them. God wanted them to observe that Passover feast. But one of the things they had to do that we see in Joshua 5 is God said, all the males in among you must be circumcised. For their parents did not keep the covenant. They did not have their children circumcised. And so before they were allowed to observe this feast, to relate to God in this way, they had to be circumcised. And this is what it says. Again, I, I'm not just making stuff up. Joshua 5, 9, And the Lord said, this is after the circumcision, And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. So your parents, they, they grew up, they were in Egypt for a very long time, so their parents grew up in Egypt around the Egyptian gods, committing the Egyptian sins, and they've come out, they've been influenced by their parents, and finally God says, let there be this circumcision, this cutting away, and today I want to roll away from you the reproach of Egypt, all the sinful patterns, all the sinful gods of Egypt. Today, let, let's cut that off. And it was symbolized in this circumcision. So we have that. That first, it is a, a sign of our depravity and need for God, but it is also a sign that God wants to cut us away from that depravity and draw us to himself. And I'll give you one final uh, piece of significance that I see in circumcision as the sign, is I believe that circumcision uh, being consisting of uh, a procedure involving the male reproductive organ, that there would be a cutting, and that there would be a shedding of blood pointed to the fact that though these people were sinful and depraved, God was going to bring a Savior into the world through reproduction, and there would be a cutting, and there would be a shedding of blood in that Savior. So I'm going to try to say that more simply. <laughs> the sign of circumcision pointed to the fact that in Genesis 3.15, God said that through the woman, there would be one who would bruise, who would crush the serpent's head. Through the woman, through human reproduction, this would take place. And that's what we see. That's uh, Matthew 1 gives us a genealogy from Abraham all the way to Mary, uh, where, where Jesus is born through human reproduction. Don't get hung up on the fact that Mary was a virgin. That, that was the, the one instance, and she, he was still, Jesus was still born of Mary in normal ways. Um, anyways, so it pointed to the fact that there would be a Savior and that there would be a shedding of blood. Now, I'll say to you, I have no clue how much of this significance Abraham or anyone after him uh, understood. I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. Again, we're, we're, we're having to guess some based on the evidence that God's Word and just using our minds gives us. But if any of that is true, even a little bit of truth, then the significance of circumcision is incredible. Okay? The significance of circumcision, if what I've just said is true at all, is it points to nothing less than the gospel. All those thousands of years before Jesus came into this world, circumcision was pointing to the gospel. Let's think about this, okay? My first point was circumcision pointed to the depravity of man and his utter uh, need 
for God, his, his bankruptcy. Is that not a part of the gospel? Realizing that you are bankrupt, that you are a sinner condemned before God? Of course that's the gospel. And then we saw that circumcision points to God's desire to cut people away from their old life and draw, him to, draw them to himself. What is that but repentance and faith? Trusting in God, trusting in his promises, loving God, and hating our old way of life. And then that, that final point I gave you is circumcision pointed to the one, the Savior, who would come as a human through a long line of reproduction, and he would be cut, there would be shedding of blood, and there would be forgiveness for sins and new life, eternal life. If what I've said is true at all, then circumcision was incredibly significant, whether or not they realized it. It was pointing to the gospel. So why didn't God just do a tattoo on their arms of a rainbow or a smoking pot and a flaming torch? Well, those things would not have pointed to the redemptive work of God in Christ Jesus in the same way that circumcision did. And God is about this gospel. God is about showing His grace, reminding of a, us of His grace, pointing us to His grace in the gospel. So, we have the purpose of the sign. It was to be a continual reminder of God's promises. The significance of the sign, it was to be a pointer to the gospel. By the way, uh, sorry, circumcision did not save them, but if it had been understood at all correctly, it could have been a means to uh, pointing them to salvation, right? The gospel is what we need for salvation. For them, the gospel would have been, there is going to be a Savior. I am in utter need, but God sent a Savior, or is going to send a Savior. That, that's what circumcision pointed to for them. It, it could have led people to Christ, but it didn't save them. But it was a powerful pointer to the gospel. So, I, I hope at this point, uh, the purpose and the significance of circumcision is a lot stronger uh, in your mind than it was when you came into this room. But you might wonder, well, what does that mean for us today? Should our male children be circumcised in order to be obedient to God, right? They were commanded uh, there in, uh, see here, uh, verse 12, I'll, I'll begin reading again. It says, He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from, it, from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. And it just goes on, and that's how my covenant will be with you. Those who do not receive this covenant, it says, will, shall be cut off. That's the end of verse 14. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. And so, I mean, this is a pretty significant question. In order to be obedient to God, in order to be uh, under the covenant blessings of God, do we still need to observe this sign of circumcision? And that is number three in your notes, if you want to follow along there. 
the continuation of the sign. The continuation of the sign. I'll do my best to be clear here, but the answer is not as simple <laughs> as, as uh, we might want. I guess I can begin by saying, if you are a Christian today, whether or not you realize it, you are and forever will be a beneficiary of God's covenant with Abraham. You fall under that umbrella, okay? If you're a Christian, you fall under that umbrella of God's covenant blessings that he promised to Abraham, both for, for now and, and the future ones, the ones yet to be fulfilled in the Abrahamic covenant. So what does that mean uh, about whether or not circumcision is a requirement for Christian males today? There's so many ways I could explain this. I, I'm afraid to give you too much information, so I'm going to make it very simple, okay? Is circumcision a requirement for Christian males? No, not at all. Twice in Galatians, uh, chapter 5, verse 6, and uh, chapter 6, verse 15, it says that neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but faith working through love. And then the other one says that neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but new creation. By the way, the fact that circumcision is not a requirement uh, for Christian males today, I'm actually pretty excited about because it makes uh, membership interviews a lot less awkward than they maybe otherwise would be. You know, got to check, make sure you got the sign. I'm all right. <laughs> we'll let someone else do the interviews. <laughs> So, uh, but no, there, there is no religious reason or obligation for, for, for Christian males to be circumcised or to have their children circumcised or anyone living in their household circumcised. There is no religious obligation anymore, according to Paul. You might say, well, why is that? Well, the fact is that although we are the eternal uh, recipients of the blessings of the Abrahamic covenant, we are now under a new covenant that has superseded and surpassed the Abrahamic covenant. And because of that, the sign has been voided uh, for us as Christians. Again, the, the Abrahamic covenant will still be fulfilled. It is still uh, in effect in that sense, but it has been superseded. That is, something has been put on top of it. It has been surpassed by the new covenant. What's the new covenant? Well, Luke twenty-two twenty, 20, uh, at the institution of the Lord's Supper, Jesus said to his disciples, and likewise the cup after they had eaten, saying, this is the cup, or sorry, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Okay, so the, the, the Lord's Supper was a symbol uh, pointing to the new covenant that would be in Jesus' blood. And we know that that very night, Jesus was betrayed, right? He was betrayed, he was arrested. And we know that the very next day, this cup of wine that symbolized the new covenant was actualized in the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed on the cross. So you remember in Genesis chapter 15, God commanded Abraham uh, to cut these animals in two. There's this cutting, there's a shedding of blood, and God passes through those animals to seal the covenant. That was the covenant ceremony. Here on the cross, Jesus made it clear to them in the institution of the Lord's Supper that what he did on the cross, the cutting of his body, the shedding of his blood, that was 
the new covenant ceremony that instituted this new covenant. And in that, the Bible has made very clear, uh, shows us that we do not now need circumcision as the sign. So, the question then comes, well, is there a replacement for the sign of the covenant? Is it, does the new covenant have a sign just like circumcision? Now, I, I, again, I just need to be blunt with you because I, I want you to get this. I do not believe that there are any exact replacements for circumcision uh, in the new covenant. I do not believe there are any exact replacements for circumcision in the new covenant. I want to make that clear because our Presbyterian and, and Methodist brothers and sisters, uh, those of the strictly Reformed tradition uh, rather than the, the Baptist tradition, they would say that the replacements for circumcision is water baptism. Of course, they wouldn't use a baptistry. They would sprinkle it. But anyways, that's what they would say. And that is why, by the way, they, they sprinkle their infants. That's why they baptize their children is because they believe it is putting them under the covenant promises of God. We, however, do not have that. And I, I don't have time to tear that apart too much, uh, but let me just give you what signs we do have, that these are not exact parallels, but they are replacements for uh, that that's outward sign of circumcision. Romans 2, chapter, or Romans chapter 2, verse 28 and 29, listen to this. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly. So that's talking about no, no one is a Jew, uh, a follower of God, who is merely one outwardly. Nor a circumcision outward and physical. Well, that's interesting. Nor a circumcision outward and physical. Verse 29. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is, the matter, is a matter of the heart by the Spirit. Circumcision is a matter of of the heart by the Spirit. Again, I, I could uh, list to you many other examples of this. Uh, Colossians chapter 2 talks about this circumcision made without hands, the circumcision of Christ, it says. And that's talking about this, this heart circumcision. And so what is a heart circumcision? Well, it's the things that outward physical circumcision was pointing to. The fact that we have a depraved heart, but that it needs to be cut away, and that we need to be cut away from our old sinful flesh, our sinful nature. This is an inward sign, an indwelling of the Holy Spirit that we now have. Now, I'm not saying those things did not happen to Abraham, by the way. I absolutely believe that it was only by the work of the Holy Spirit on Abraham's heart that he was able to have salvation and continue with God. But in the, the New Covenant, we understand that this circumcision has been replaced by a, a heart circumcision, work of the Holy Spirit, and then an added bonus, <laughs> the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So, while the Abrahamic covenant was symbolized by the cutting away of flesh with the human hands, the new covenant is actualized by a cutting away of our sinful heart by God. While the sign of the Abrahamic covenant pointed to the gospel, man's sin, a coming Savior, and our need to turn from our sin to God, under the new covenant, God reveals our sin to our hearts he points 
to the Savior that has already come, and he helps us to turn from our sin and to him in faith. Under the, new, or under the Abrahamic covenant, a mark dwelled on the outside of them, but Christians under the new covenant have the mark of the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of them. So a person might ask, well, well, then how do I know if I'm a partaker of the new covenant? You know, if I don't get some outward sign, how do I know? Well, I would simply ask them, well, do you feel conviction for sin against God? Does it bother you that there's an almighty good God that you sin against? Are you convicted of that? Does it grieve you? Now, I would say, do you see that there is one and only one Savior who has come into this world and has paid for that sin you're convicted of, and have you trusted in his death and his resurrection? Have you believed that? Is, is that something that you, you, you really desire? You want that Jesus rather than your old life? You want righteousness? You want actual righteousness in your life rather than the sinful life you were living before? Even if you continue to struggle with it, I would say to that person, if the answer is yes to those things, well, then there is your sign. It is the Holy Spirit who is causing you uh, to be convicted of sin. It is the Holy Spirit who is showing you the truth and the glory of Jesus. It is the Holy Spirit who, who has uh, given you this new life and is making you walk in repentance and faith. And you should be having the fruit of the Spirit um, showing in your life. There is your sign. You ask me, that's a lot better than just a merely outward sign, an outward reminder. I have this new heart. I'm a new creation, and I see that. Ephesians 1, this is answering the question, how do I know that I'm under the new covenant uh, blessings? Ephesians 1, verses 13 and 14, says, In him, that's Jesus, in him you also... When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. If you have the sign of the Holy Spirit who has circumcised your heart, who has saved you, made you a new creation in Christ Jesus, you're doing these, these works that are showing the fruit of the Spirit in your life, then you have an inheritance guaranteed under this new covenant promise by the mark of the Holy Spirit. So each time you feel conviction for sin, say, thank you, God, for reminding me of this new covenant. Each time you read God's word and you see Christ as true and beautiful and God as lovely and gracious, say, thank you, God, for the new covenant. I've got this sign that I'm included in the new covenant because I can see, I can feel the Holy Spirit working in me. Each time you go out and do these, these good works, these fruits of the Spirit, say, thank you, God, that I am a part of the new covenant, that I have this sign showing me that I get to take part in these blessings. That is our seal. That is our guarantee. Now, I would say we have some outward signs that should still be similar, not, not exact, not exactly the same, but similar uh, pointers for us. We have baptism, okay? You remember Abraham, 
he got circumcised after salvation in the same way for us uh, the way we work with it is we are baptized after salvation and, and uh, I believe that is very very clear in scripture and then we have the communion table oh the, the pointers of baptism it shows the death that's that's going under the water that's the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ that's raising up from the water in addition, it shows our union with him. When he died, our old man died, that circumcision of the heart. When he was, you know, raised from the dead, that's that new life, this new creation in us. That is a sign pointing to the new covenant. The other one we have, of course, is uh, the communion table. Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. And of course, we have the bread, which is the broken body, and the wine or the juice, which is the shed blood of the new covenant. We have these outward signs that should be continually filling us with joy, filling us with confidence for tomorrow, filling us with confidence for eternity. I don't have much time, but I want to give you a bonus, okay? This is something that popped up in an article. I get a Desiring God email um, every day, and this popped up a few days ago. There will be one more sign, and it will be eternal. And those will be the scars, the nail-pierced hands, the nail-pierced feet, and the spear-pierced side of Jesus. You think about the book of Revelation. Anytime uh, Jesus is shown, he is the lamb who was slain, who who appears as though it was slain is, is kind of the actual literal wording. You think about when Jesus appeared to the disciples, right, in in the room, the the locked room, Jesus appears, and he shows them his hands. He shows them his sides. He shows them the scars. That's the whole idea with doubting Thomas. He says, I won't believe unless I put my hands uh, in those scars. And Jesus appears to him, I think it's eight days later, and says, here I am. Here are my scars. And so you think about this. For eternity— We will have a pointer, a sign that continually reminds us of God's redemption for sinful people like you and like me for eternity. To the praise of the glory of His grace. This will be joy instilling for us. Uh, the, The author of that article, David Mathis, says, Jesus scars as healed wounds forever tell us of our final victory in him. As the book of Revelation unfolds to us that ultimate, that ultimate triumph, it is our scarred Savior, the Lamb who was slain. He is that ultimate triumph, the Lamb who was slain. We will get to enjoy that for eternity. Why? Because of the Abrahamic covenant and because of the new covenant that has already been instituted, and yet there are still some promises yet to be fulfilled, and we look forward to those in faith, just like Abraham did. We look to these signs, and that's how we can make it through these circumstances of the day. That's how we can even make it past our failures. God has bound himself in covenant to me. He's going to save me. He's going to continue changing me. So that is what we see with circumcision, this sign of circumcision for the Abrahamic covenant, and I even tried to tie that some with the new covenant and how that should change us. We're now going to have a response time. Uh, here, here in a moment, um, my dad will come up with me and we'll be playing a song here. And this is just your opportunity 
to deal with God, to do business with God with anything he's been talking to you about. I know uh, that once you leave the doors of this building, you're still able to respond to God, but that likelihood has gone way down. Now is the time to repent. Now is the time to commit. Now is the time to thank God. And so that's even maybe where I'd start. Thank God for this Abrahamic covenant, this, this people that God preserved to one day bring a Savior out of them. And I would say maybe now would be a good time to say, God, there's no outward sign on me to say whether or not I'm a Christian, but is that inward sign there? Do I have your Holy Spirit? Have I seen my sin as hideous as it really is? Have I seen the Savior as beautiful as he really is? Have I really trusted in him? Have I really been changed by him? It's a good time to ask that question. Examine yourself. See if you be of the household of faith, Paul tells us. If the answer to that that God gives you is no, there's no evidence of, of the Holy Spirit, this sign, this seal in you, and I would say today can be the day of salvation. The Holy Spirit may be working. He may be softening. He may be ready to cut right now. Repent to him. Talk to him. Cry out to him. God wants to bring you into this new covenant. And if the answer is yes, God shows you yes, you have the Holy Spirit, then I would say now would be a good time to pray to God and say, God, help me to act like it. Help me to live like it. Help me to sacrifice like it. Help me to have confidence and joy and hope and peace like I really am sealed in this new covenant. Let's do business with God.